Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color, to developing and engaging male allies, to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19. Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. Shortly after the tragic killing of George Floyd, I was having just the most incredible, heartfelt, and poignant conversation with one of my amazing board members. Um, She is a wildly successful C-suite exec. Um, She's also a Black female. And typically, when we would connect, we would focus on the business matters of new, but on this afternoon, just as I know many, many others were, we couldn't help but speak to this senseless death. And I shared with her, and and you've heard me share this in other podcasts too, I just, I, I think that this totally encapsulates our experience the past two years, that I'd, I'd heard another leader had labeled the past two years as the time of reckoning. And that reckoning to me had been that given all of the unprecedented dynamics that were at play, right? There were multiple dimensions and multiple dynamics at play. My big epiphany and realization was that we were all now sharing an ongoing universal sense of fear, you know, uncertainty, frustration, and then all of the the never-ending exhaustion and stress, you know, that goes along with these debilitating emotions, And she responded to me, the wise woman that she is, and she said, welcome to my world and welcome to my everyday life and welcome to the world of any black woman, man or child. We have experienced this exhaustion, this frustration, this fear, this stress for centuries. And oh, yes, it has gone unchecked. And it's why I breathe a sigh of relief every time my husband and son walk back into our house alive and safe. That conversation changed my life. It changed my heart and my soul. And it only validated what our organization and myself as its leaders were already doing to help all women. It refueled my passion. So today, in our ongoing commitment to doing this and in that spirit, we're going to be discussing how leaders and organizations can be of better support to Black women in their mental health. I am so humbled (laughs) and excited at the same time to be joined by three incredible leaders who will share their own personal experiences and the amazing things that they and their companies are doing, and what actions we can all take as leaders and companies to never lose sight of this pivotal responsibility that we have as humans, right? To take care of our amazing fellow Black female employees and provide them with every opportunity to lead healthy and happy lives and careers. I'm Sarah Alter your host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, 
and proudly the CEO of the Network of Executive Women. But more importantly, I am joined by Ebony Wyatt, Customer Vice President at General Mills and founder of Ebony Wyatt Speaks, LLC, Dr. Ty, licensed psychologist and founder of The Black Girl Doctor, and Natasha Miller-Williams, VP, Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Ferrera Candy. So welcome. I'm so glad you ladies are here. All righty. So Ebony, we're going to kick this off with you. Um, why is this topic so important to you? And, and I know you're going to share both the personal and the professional perspectives. Yeah. So as we think about mental health for Black women, my frame is seeing women around me. So whether it was my grandmother or my great aunt or even my mother taking care of everyone around them except for themselves. So that's the frame I grew up with, right? Um, And I'm committed to doing it differently. I wear a lot of hats. There are so many pressures as a corporate professional working for a Fortune 500 company, as a leader of a team, (laughs) uh, as a small business owner, um, as a mom, as a wife, as a community leader, and all of that while being a Black woman. And in a lot of cases, being the only person that looks like you in a lot of spaces. Yeah. And just the pressure of that. And so it is important for me to make sure that I'm not only being excellent in all the things I do, but really being excellent at taking care of myself and taking a pause when I need to, seeing my therapist every two weeks, mm-hmm. um, working out, like all those things that, that, are, that are commitments that I'm making to myself. I'm just, I'm committed to doing it differently because guess what? My grandmother, my great aunt, they did not have the same access to mental health services. They didn't have the same financial resource. uh, And they were just committed to taking care of everyone around them. And so I want to take that a step further and make sure that I'm taking care of myself. I know. Thank God for therapy, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank God for therapy. Dr. Ty smiling. She's like, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. No, Ebony, thank you so much. Um, Natasha, we'd love to hear from you. How about you? Why why join us today? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, As I was listening to Ebony, I'm just like smiling and uh, nodding my head here. And so much of what you were sharing just um, resonates with me. And I just think about um, the history of Black women in this country um, and the burdens that we have carried, you know, the physical burdens and the impact that that has on our mental health over the centuries, taking care of our families, taking care of other people's families, Um, As we have progressed over the decades now in corporate spaces, um, continuing to take care of our families and thinking about um, others and often um, feeling um, invisible in different spaces and the burden that that has. Um, And as a person now that, you know, still wrestles with feeling invisible 
at times while simultaneously having more access than others. Um, this is a topic that is really important to me because I want to make sure that I am just leveraging every single opportunity that I have to, um, I've heard the expression like lift as I climb before. Right. And um, if I can do that for um, mental health for myself and others, physical health for myself and others, um, socioeconomic for myself and others, then it really matters. And so you extended the invitation to come forward and to just share my story, to share what we're doing um, at my organization, to share the stories of others. I, I just felt it was an opportunity to not miss being a part of. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Dr. Tai, and, and, and I want to put it out there. I had the joy of being introduced to Dr. Tai by one of our incredible partners. Um, she's done an incredible work with Target. And, you know, along with the two brands that both Natasha and Ebony represent, General Mills and Ferreira, all three partners to do, and all three practicing what we preach. Um, but I thank Target because Dr. Tai came into the new community. And it, it, why, why join us today? We're so glad you're here. Thank you for, for having me. And I resonate so much with the stories that you know, both Ebony and Natasha are just sharing, setting the tone for what we're talking about here. We are all Black women leaders right now are standing on the shoulders of our ancestors who did not have the space, the privilege of paying attention to their mental health. And I often share a story. I feel, you know, my grandmother died working herself to death, right? In terms of not wow. being able to pay attention to yeah. her own health and giving everything. And, you know, when we think about what mental health is, like the decline in our mental health takes away your ability to live, work, love, laugh, play, all of those things. And which is why it's so incredibly important. And I often, you know, my biggest pet peeve is untapped potential in life. We all have our things that just drive us up the wall and black people, we're communal people culturally. And I truly believe I am because we are, that is an African proverb. And it means, you know, that each of us needs each other to live out our potential, to live out our purpose to thrive for everything. And every time I feel us being stagnant or the world is stagnant, I have this fear. I get a visual picture of our next, you know, great black leaders hiding in a corner someplace, you know, scrolling on their phone, playing video games, just afraid and overcome with anxiety or depression or grief or overwhelm from all the things that life throws at you, but also compounded by what it is to live in a country that doesn't affirm your existence and what that experience is every day. And I believe that we all have gifts and we're put here to do something. Absolutely do something important. I believe that I was put here to inspire greatness and encourage people to dream bigger and fulfill their purpose. And so my way of doing that right now is healing people from the things that hold them back from realizing their purpose. And so every day I get to witness that. And when I am working with incredible, amazing Black women leaders, and you can see them freed from the stress that is holding them back. It changes their lives. It changes their families. It changes whole communities, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think once I 
experience that I am hooked. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is bigger <laughs> than one-on-one work and just, you know, my own mental health, even this is about changing a generation and making the world better. And I want that. I want to live in a better world. Absolutely. No, I, I, I am because we are. I love yeah. that proverb. Um, share too, Dr. Ty, because you had, had shared with us um, in our first meeting how you like transformed your practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you shifted from just serving individuals to organizations. And I, I want to shine the spotlight on that because it's such an incredible um, service that many can benefit from. Absolutely. So, you know, obviously people are hurting and there's a need to serve, you know, and, and support mental health and repair wounds that are done or how people are damaged. But it isn't that the world you know, innately people are just getting sicker and sicker and their mental health is, you know, innately just declining. It is that the world is getting sicker and sicker and that we are reacting to it. And so it doesn't make sense from, you know, where I sit to continue to bandage people and send them back out into the world where they're going to continue to be damaged and then come back in. Um, And so it's really important that our work is twofold. And so at the Black Girl Doctor, we we are doing the individual one-on-one work, and then we want to work with companies to create healthier work environments for Black employees in the workplace. So let's shift the environment and let's heal people because that's long-term work. You can't change, you don't change culture in a week or in a workshop. No. But if you're <laughs> long-term interventions, but we want to help companies identify that, measure it um, so that you can track it over time. And then we want to help people that are hurting right now. Yeah. And it, it, um, it it's just incredible and, and it's so needed. So today we we are unapologetically talking about black females, <laughs> um, and and clearly so appropriate because there's that double burden, right? There's that double burden of being female and then you know being diverse and and working, say, in a corporate culture or living in a society that doesn't appreciate or celebrate or or to even your point recognize who you are and the incredible value you bring. Um, Natasha and Ebony, I would love it if you would share, you know, your personal journeys over the last two years, um, the highs, the lows, <laughs> clearly the learnings um, that you took away. Um, and, and it was, you know, as I said, it's been unprecedented. Um, but N- Natasha, if you wouldn't mind diving in first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the past couple of years, I, I know the word unprecedented gets used all the time, but you it's know, it's cliche, that's, but it's <laughs> true, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as a DEI professional, you know, beginning with the events of the pandemic um, and all of the inequities in our systems that were exposed, I think every person who is a diversity officer or connected to this work yeah. in yeah. any way just moved into a hyper-focus on our work um, because we were wrapping our arms around our organizations, our um, our employees, our programs, our strategies, you know, companies were creating new roles. So there were people that were moving into new positions that were created around DEI. And so there was so much of a focus for, I can speak on behalf of with great confidence for all DEI professionals and definitely for myself. I, in fact, was 
Oh, I started at at um, at my organization in November, so I was about you know four months into a new organization at the start of the pandemic, and so I wasn't on my wow. professionals. Yeah. Just like let me let me double down, <laughs> let me dig deep, like let me like make sure that this organization is doing the right thing, whether it's yeah statements, responses, programs, partnerships, all of those things, and I really didn't have the time to just you know pause appropriately for myself um, and even for my family um, when it was necessary. Um, And I believe that the biggest wake up call for me that I had not really paused appropriately came following George Floyd's murder because I was just working, you know, I was just like my heads down, right? Yeah. Like get in, you know, get into this office, start earlier if you need to work later, if you need to just like get this work done. And I was also a team of one because I was um, the first person in my role building a department and had not yet because of the pandemic really had the opportunity and the space to start building and, and hiring. So I'm this team of one, just like working and leveraging volunteers who also have other roles in the organization to get work done. And uh, following George Floyd's murder, um, which was that uh, Memorial weekend, um, working over the weekend, you know, like what's what's the organization going to do? And had not stopped outside of the conversation that my husband and I were having as adults, um, talk to my children. (laughs) So um, my now 12 year old has a cell phone and um, I know that he hops onto social accounts and all of that. And it was probably that following Tuesday or Wednesday that I was in my office on one of the dozens of calls that I have in a day, just working through some things that I saw my children who were, you know, having homeschool walk up to the door. I saw my, my son walk up to the door and he was, you know, visibly upset with his cell phone in his hand. And my first thought was that my kids were fighting again, because that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> anything. And um, I kind of like give the, you know, give the hand gesture to enter my office. And as he came closer to my desk, I saw on his phone that he had the video clip of uh, George Floyd's murder. And that, you know, obviously he had, you know, he had, found it on his own without me having stopped to discuss this incident with him. And that really felt like a failure on my part that I was so busy, like working on what the organization was going to do, what our letter was going to be, what these initiatives would be that I hadn't had the appropriate time to discuss it at home with um, black male children. And so I immediately got off of the call and um, I called my husband who was working out of the house and we just stopped to talk to my son. And that was just a wake up call for me that I needed to better manage how these events um, were um, impacting my own time, my management of time, like my own self-preservation and my responsibility to my family. And so following that, um, one way that we specifically changed things was when the Derek Chauvin verdict was announced, I cleared my afternoon. Yeah. 
um, Good for you. reserve some time yeah. with my children. We watched it together, had space and time to talk, you know, not knowing what the outcome would be, space and time to talk together, um, just to be sure that while we can't always predict what will happen, I can, one way that I can better manage the uh, mental health of my full family is to create that space and time in the same way that I try to do at work. I, I was just thinking that, right? Like it's, it's you know, <laughs> we, you know, clearly have been sharing with all of our partners and, and, and I know it's been happening in your organization and in Ebony's too, where it's, you know, it's not about just giving extra time off or giving pet insurance, you know, <laughs> yeah, there are all sorts of great new, you know, benefits that can be provided with our shifting lives, but it's, it's about making sure that these open conversations are happening and that people are listening, you know, and, and yet, as I sit here and think about it, we didn't do that in our house either. You know, it, it was my daughter, actually, my older daughter who started at the dinner table, really raising these types of discussions. And I was so proud of her because I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. <laughs> so I, I, I can, can relate with you on that front clearly. Um, Ebony, and, and we've, like, we would love to hear your story. <laughs> yeah. So um, to paint the picture, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I am leading a new team a team of 50 folks all across the country. Um, and guess what? I'm relocating from Arkansas to Minnesota five days after George Floyd was killed. So taking my family of five on the yeah. road trip from Arkansas to Minnesota. And on the way, uh, my phone just starts pinging. And I was like, something's up. Like I'm getting like 30 text messages. And my husband and I had went to bed early that night because we drove two cars to Minnesota. So we didn't watch the news or any of that. And I had colleagues and friends, like, I'm not sure you want to come. Like there's, there's protests, there's, there's looting. Like, I'm not sure it's safe for you guys to come. So I get off the phone. I call my husband who's in another car. Like, here's what's going on. What do you think? He's like, we've, we've got to move. We've got to get our kids settled before school starts. Let's we're halfway there. Let's keep going. Yeah. And so I asked a friend. So we're staying downtown in temp housing. So right in the middle of kind of where the protests were happening, I asked a friend to go drive down there and see what she thought. She's like, there's a lot of activity down there that just protests, but you should probably figure out an alternate place to stay yeah. um, because I'm not sure it's the right place for you guys to be right now. So I call a friend. Uh, I'm like, hey can we come stay with you? I dropped my family of five um, to my friend and her husband and their two kids home. Cause you got to think about it. this is the beginning of COVID. People are afraid to stay in hotels. It was just a weird situation. So because of our living situation, we had to pay close attention to the news. I have a nine-year-old boy, a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And they're trying to make sense of what's going on on the news. They see fires, they see police, they see the images of George Floyd. Yeah. And so two days yeah. later, my husband goes downtown, he checks it out. He decides it's safe for us to go um, into our temp housing. But when we get downtown, there are literally posters of George Floyd's face on every building. 
the National Guard was on every corner with AK-47s. And here I am with my Black family in the middle of all this and really having to explain to my children what was going on and really trying to help them to understand, can they trust the police? Like, why would this happen? They they just couldn't make sense of it. And um, I remember sitting down and talking to my boys and just saying, you know, some people will mistreat you because of the color of your skin. And my nine-year-old who was eight at the time said, oh yeah, mom, I've had that happen to me at school on the playground and such and such didn't want to play with me because I'm black. And here I am thinking I'm protecting him by not having these conversations. And he had a year earlier in kindergarten, he had already experienced racism. And I always tell this story because I think it's powerful because allies are always like, what can we do? Right. And I called the little girl, little Abby. I don't remember her name. And he's, and I said, so Cannon, what'd you do? He said, well, well, Abby went and told the teacher and told the principal and then me and her played. And I always remind my colleagues, like there's so much we can do at home by educating our kids. Absolutely. Helping them to yeah. be leaders. Cause they're going to be the change. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the ones to help make this place better, but we've got to teach them. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a powerful moment for me to say, you know what? There are some things our allies can do. And guess what? If a six-year-old girl can do it, we sure can do it. We can be the change. Um, but it was a tr- tremendously stressful, traumatic experience on top of dealing with my family being in the middle of this chaos. I'm also helping my organization navigate and having difficult conversations and helping our black employees express how they were feeling and really helping our white counterparts to understand the stress and the trauma and the weight of it all, um, because it's something that they don't have to experience. They don't experience it in the same way. And so just having to lead at home and lead at work and still do your day job and help your community. Um, it was it was a lot. And I think about mental health at that point. There wasn't a period of the day that I wasn't thinking about all these traumatic things that were going around, going on around me and, and what my kids might be experiencing, what my husband, who is a black man, might be experiencing. It was it was definitely a moment, um, a powerful moment for my family. And really a powerful moment for my company. Yeah. Your mind just must have been racing, right? And it, 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 it yeah, well, on the exterior, knowing you, cool, calm, and collect. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Nat- Natasha and Ebony, for sharing these, these personal stories. Um, they both just are, are living proof of, yes. As allies, we need to do all that we can, you know, as leaders, as organizations. And we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about just what in the hell we all should be doing. And Dr. Tai, I know you're going to guide us. So um, thank you, everybody, um, for listening so far to our Advancing All Women podcast. You can always check us out at newonline.org for more information on new and all of our podcasts. And fear not, we will be back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Network of Executive Women is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing all women and transforming our workplaces through the power of community. We are a growing community of more than 13,500 professional women and men, representing nearly 900 organizations across North America. We are a strong, collective voice for everyone in the corporate world who wants to see gender equality become a reality, and we welcome all who champion our cause. Members of NEW gain access to a broad network of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development. Corporate organizations also gain access to DEI Solutions, which fosters a more inclusive and productive work culture. Plus, members can engage across NEW's 22 regional communities and attend two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and leadership. Join Network of Executive Women today. Visit newonline.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member of NEW. That's newonline.org slash membership. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Network of Executive Women? Visit our website today at newonline.org. That's N-E-W online.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Sarah Alter and the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. And I am joined today by the incredible Ebony Wyatt, customer, vice president, General Mills, and founder of Ebony Wyatt Speaks, Dr. Ty, licensed psychologist and founder of The Black Girl Doctor, and Natasha Miller-Williams, VP, head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Ferreira. And what we're talking about today is 
we're sharing guidance in how leaders and organizations can do a better job of supporting their Black female leaders and their mental health. So we're going to focus this next half of our conversation now on, okay, what do you do, right? So what do you do as an individual to better support your own mental health? And then as equally important, if not more so, what do we as leaders and organizations need to do? Um, So who better than Dr. Tai (laughs) to kick us off? I think it is so important that we under we think about this from the right perspective and as evidenced just by the stories, you know, that have already been shared. And I'm so glad, Ebony, you talked about your experience as trauma, because by any clinical definition, what is happening right now is trauma. This is a traumatic experience and it's a sustained one. And it's very different, you know, when you think about somebody witnessing a murder or some violent event, it is typically a moment in time. And then we wrap services around that person because, you know, there's this understanding that our minds, we're not supposed to see those things. We're not supposed to be exposed to that. And when it happens, we need to provide support so that you can nurture yourself back to health. But when something happens like the murder of the public, you know, murder of George Floyd, and that is saturated in the media, we are not supposed to see that. Right. And, you know, we call what the happening in the black community is categorically different than how, you know, the non-black community is experiencing this. And that's just that is, that is just a reality of what's happening. And it's very important that I think that everybody understand, accept that and identify that some specific targeted support needs to be wrapped around this community as we are experiencing that kind of an event, right? On top of the pandemic that we're in. And it is also a social justice issue when you have communities that are differently impacted by events. So when you think about what we know in the research about mental health is that when our mental health declines, when we have poor mental health, so think about our mental health on a continuum, Sometimes we're at the top, like maybe at a 10, and we have everything we need to live out our lives. And as our mental health declines, as things happen, um, we have less and less capacity to do the things that we need to do. And when our mental health declines, um, it is predictive of overall decreased life satisfaction, less wealth accumulation, increased family conflict in the home, uh, disconnected communities from a cultural standpoint, more failed marriages and less successful romantic relationships as a whole, poor health, increased illness and death, poor life decisions. Um, We lose our sense of creativity and become less resilient to stressors and trauma. And I could keep going and citing the literature and I won't do that, but it's basically everything, right? Yeah. It's not good in any way, shape or form. No. No. Collectively, when you think about a mass traumatic experience happening to a community that has the potential for collective destruction of a community. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we know with Black women is we, Typically, you may find Black women, particularly in the professional spaces, and you may look at them and think everything is fine. And we can identify this as what we call a superwoman schema. And that is actually identified by five characteristics that I want to share. Um, One is an obligation to present an image of strength. Two is an obligation to suppress emotion. Three, strong resistance to being vulnerable, 
four, an intense drive to succeed despite limited resources, and five, an obligation to help others over self. So, Natasha and Ebony, (laughs) reaction. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you're writing it down like, yep, yep, yep. yep." (laughs) Super women. (laughs) You're, I mean, honestly, I'm so guilty of like carrying around what'd you call it dr Todd? the super superwoman oh, what schema, schema, schema. right oh, superwoman honey. schema you hit the nail on the head um and be, and a lot of that causes me to overexert myself mm-hmm. and what i've learned in the past two years is the power of no yes when you are when you are a superwoman and you've been behaving as such, everybody wants a piece of your time and energy. And I've learned to say no, if it does not serve me, if it does not uh, mm-hmm. fall into my core values and, and just a random example, because it's so outlandish. I had uh, a friend's husband asked me to join uh, the city council in his city that I don't even live in. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds crazy. Like, uh, okay, no, I, I'm just going to say, I know why he did. Okay. Uh, but, but you're like, you? what? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, no, thanks. But, but because there is this intense feeling of wanting to sprinkle this magic everywhere because yeah. you want our community to be better and you want to represent every space you can. Yeah. Yeah. But I have had to learn the powerful no. That has mm-hmm. probably been my biggest lesson in the last two years. And I remember after the George Floyd tragedy, one of my white male colleagues said, Ebony, you need to tell us what to do. And I said, no, that is not mm-hmm. my job. My job Mm-mm. is a sell product. We yes, have a diversity know. and inclusion team. I'd recommend you go talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. the other thing I've learned through this is um, it's okay to opt in and opt out of these discussions as you see fit. Right. Today, I may have time to have a discussion and help lead the organization through this traumatic time. But mm-hmm. tomorrow, I may just need to take care of Ebony's mental health. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I'm guiding the people who look up to me to say the same way. You don't have to be the spokesperson today if mm-hmm. you don't feel like it. And so I've just, I really tried to model the behaviors, the powerful no, um, and making sure that I, I decide if I want to opt in on a daily or hourly basis. I may have had time today, this morning, but <laughs> at two o'clock, I may say, no, I'm not going to have that conversation. I got to mm-hmm. protect my peace and protect my mental health. So, so Dr. Ty, get, get, and, and you're spot on, Ebony, oh my goodness. How do you guide others then who, you know, that is why we love Ebony, <laughs> you know, Ebony for president, not city council. What the heck? <laughs> um, how do you guide others then to, to find that strength, right? To say no, because, you know, as women, and as you all pointed out, you know, it, 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 I believe we were all raised <laughs> by similar moms because I was raised, hey, you're here to serve others, period. Mm-hmm. 
It's less about you. It's about others. How do you guide people then to find that strength to say no and then to opt in and know when to opt out? Yeah. I, yeah, I think we're all guilty of this. And in the short term, the superwoman schema is actually protective. And what happens though in the long term, it's predictive of chronic illness, right? Because you can't keep up that level of intensity. And so I think it's, it's a lot of a lot of the work and what I would say is is shifting your mindset around judging what is good and bad and just acknowledging what your mental health is in any moment and being and responding to it, which is what I hear Ebony saying. So, you know, if you can still yourself to say, how am I doing right now? How much fortitude do I have to engage in something? Um, and if it's not a lot, <laughs> then being, and it's not a judgment, it isn't, oh man, I'm doing it wrong. It's just the matter of fact, right? So I don't have enough fortitude to handle, you know, a distressing conversation right now because that would damage me. So I'm going to opt out of this mm-hmm. in this moment. And so it is about just allowing yourself to act on Um, be responsive to how you feel. But I think you have to be still enough to acknowledge how you feel. We need to wake up in the morning and say, where am I at? Scale of one to 10. If you're not at a seven, you probably shouldn't be doing DEI work, right? (laughs) Having those conversations. (laughs) I was just going to say, Natasha, let's hear your take on that. (laughs) I don't don't know how often I can opt out of doing DEI work. (laughs) Well, that's your why. But um, I was, I was, going to say that I think that we have um, you know matured now and built that muscle to like figure out how to like when we want to engage and when we don't want to engage more so with social media because social media is now you know been around it's for true. you know more than a decade now and so you know when you want to scroll you like I'm going to keep scrolling because like <laughs> I don't want to like it. I don't want to, you know, I don't even want to comment like this is like, this is trash. Like, I'm just going to keep going. But I think it's harder when you're at work because the person is right there or the person is a peer or the person is whoever they may be in that broader, like, you know, system of stakeholders at work. And so like the decision of engage, not engage, like, is this going to come back around? Will I regret that I did it? you know, engage in this moment because it might come back around later. And so I find that sometimes like the decision of like what to do now feels more complicated than the way I have learned to build that muscle with like social media as an example. But I do think you're spot on, um, Ebony, that like, you just don't always have the energy. You know, you got to manage right. your time. You got to manage your energy. You got to just know like how important is this particular topic, person, situation, um, and, you know, whether or not it's your battle to fight at that particular moment. And as a DEI leader, I don't always, like, sometimes I, I'm just present and I, I have to be, and it is, like, it is a system that I am, like, actively engaged in like what is the organization going to do but I similarly am and I will tell and I tell this to my um, peers in the DEI space like similarly like what am I doing in that moment it might not always be a conversation it might be that I need to take a step back and say how do we address this like it could be around like 
hiring or performance management, or it could be around other like ways that we are approaching equity and inclusion. And maybe it's not a conversation. Maybe it's just a step back to say, how do we approach this? That's where the role of, of allyship in general, right? In the culture, it, it like it's pivotal. It's absolutely pivotal because it, it, um, you know, as leaders, you know, we need to appreciate and be sensitive to, you know, the, the differing perspectives and the differing experiences and the differing reactions and situations, right? And um, it just, it, it, so I implore anybody who's listening as a leader, if you don't have some type of an allyship program in play in your organization, find one. Reach out to me. We'll set you up. But it... The burden should not be <laughs> on that diverse leader, yeah. right? And it, 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 because we, everyone is, is always personally and professionally juggling multiple yeah. challenges and stressors, right? It, and Sarah, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, we've been on the allyship journey at General Mills for several years now. And I'm finally starting to see the fruit of that work. And so even amongst my peer set, we're in meetings and they're like, nope, I'll take that on, Evan. Let me take that. Yeah. Let, let yeah. me mentor. Let me have that conversation. Yes. And it's been really powerful. And I, I just make sure I tell them why that matters. Thank you for taking that. Because guess what? If you didn't, that's another burden on my shoulders to carry. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they need to know the importance of it. And sometimes I've had to fight the, like, but I could do that better. Or they would, they would respond better <laughs> to me. And I'm like, nope, nope. Let other people take on those burdens. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Black people activating is not enough to change this country or this world. No. We are not the majority. We do not have the, the power um, and so we need our white allies at the table, taking on this responsibility, asking the tough questions. Yeah. Sometimes it's so yeah. even the burden of being the squeaky wheel. Some days I have to just say, I've got a point of view, but I'm not going to share it today because I, ha- I, I don't want to be that person. And especially as a woman of color representing a community of color. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'm advocating for myself. Natasha, I know you've had great success in your role because you I'm I'm so fortunate. I've 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 gotten to have Natasha speak several times on behalf of new and we love her every time. Um, Share with us some of the success you've had at Ferreira. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say if I was to say, like, what's the secret to the success? I would just put it in one word and that it has been. By just taking the time to listen to each other. Yeah. But um, from a programmatic perspective, um, we created um, what we call processing spaces. And these processing spaces brought in a licensed race um, and wellness therapist to the organization to moderate sessions where our employees were able to come together optionally. And you'll talk about these current events as they were Mm. unfolding. And that was really powerful. We had never done anything like that before. And to just see kind of the like the walls come down from even the first five minutes 
of a call to how it ended after an hour. They were often one hour sessions. Wow. That was really powerful. And her like skills, like 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 a Dr. Ty, like her skills and being right. able to ask those questions, suspend like I think we had a max of 10 people on a call and just her ability to spend time with each person in a way that felt really special while bringing us together as a group was really powerful. And so that was one way that we um, you know, brought our employees together, including a focus on Black women. We also added empathy as a company value um, following the event and just as a product of our broader DEI strategy. And I think that we all, you know, have an appreciation of what empathy means to us as individuals. But yeah. as a company, we really just said, like, we're going to take it a step further. And this is about not just seeing things through um, each other's perspective, but um, we... Yeah. Uh, we are actively seeking out perspectives in order to produce powerful, positive experiences as an organization. And um, it's a new value for us as of May of this year. And so um, we're really looking forward to how we live and embrace this value um, no, as absolutely. an organization, too. So, so Dr. Ty, and oh, and for anybody listening, we are going to post her contact info. On our on our the two places where we post our podcasts. So, if anybody wants to follow back up with her and her incredible organization, the Black Girl Doctor, we're going to provide that info. Um, totally, it, it's like I've 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 heard this happening more and more across organizations, which is having those discussions, right? Listening. You don't have to have all the answers or solutions, but you better get back to your your community. What about, though, in terms of just like the mental health element and therapy? So if, you, you, you know, you don't have a family or a household where you necessarily are very comfortable or can afford, you know, mental health support, what should organizations be doing? Yeah. And it's not just an EAP 1-800 number, right? That's just yeah. not going to cut it, right? You're right. I'll share Um and this is something that General Mills has had for years because I think I leveraged this service five or six years ago. Um, so we work with an organization called Spring Health, and each employee has uh, X number of free uh, therapy sessions available to them. I think the number is six. And so it's pretty it's fantastic. Uh, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's not just like, one time, because it may take you two or three times to get comfortable with your therapist and in yeah. the space, and it, it may be new. So I love that. And it was a, a, a female colleague that told me about it years ago when I was having some personal um, stresses. And I was just like, she's like, you may need to talk to somebody. Yeah. And so I've leveraged it. I continue. I think I shared already. I go to therapy every two weeks. Um, even through COVID, I see my doctor on the screen. And she's like, if you need to see me in person, that's fine. I can make that work. But um, I think having access to therapy and giving people kind of um, the financial uh, ability to do that and make sure it's something that works for them is one of the best, um, the best programs I've seen. Um, and it is getting very widespread utilization. And I'm really, yeah. really proud of that. Yeah. Dr. Tai. Yeah. Last, there's, last 
part last and sadly last parting thought oh my god our hour's up but please i want to end end it with you <laughs> i i will say that what we know about trauma and hard times is that what well, we can buffer it by creating experiences exper- participating in in self-care and um if we can turn a traumatic situation into something that is developmental rather than just debilitating, we can create a buffer against some of the damage that is being done. So damage is being done. Companies can put in interventions into place that are uniquely centering the culture. Um, So thinking about how are Black women going to respond to this service? So if I engage in this company to offer therapy, are there Black therapists in this service? When they go on and they start looking for services, how will they be able to, how will they navigate the system? Will their experience be on par with how the general population experiences the service, or do they have to take extra steps to try to connect to a space that feels comfortable? And and so I think that there's there's a lot that companies can do and self-care is huge and it looks different. Center the culture, what are culturally appropriate methods of care and then put those interventions in place specifically for the community and not being afraid to say, we can't just treat everyone and say mental health wellness for everyone. We have to say this community is hurting. That community is hurting. What am I doing for them specifically? Yeah. Yeah. If I can add one thing uh, just to connect the mental and physical. Yeah. Um, I, My little one left a note for me at my desk that I keep here as a sticky note, and it has the misspellings of him being a very young child. And it says from 1210 to 1245, lunch and break, B-R-A-K-E, take time for yourself. And I posted this on LinkedIn when he when he wrote it for me, and it got like twenty thousand likes. Like I love it. I think everyone really appreciated just the importance of self-care and for a little child to see and appreciate that, I think shows just how much, you know, this really matters and that connection between the physical and, and, and mental. And I, um, I appreciate what you were sharing, Dr. Ty and Ebony. Well, he's clearly being raised by a phenomenal mother. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I am so sad. Our hour is up. Thank you. Thank you so much, ladies, for for sharing your personal stories and for sharing your advice and guidance to others. Thank you so much, Voice America, for allowing me and New to have this incredible show and podcast that we can share with all of our great listeners. We topped 16,000. All righty. Um, so we're still babies in this world. <laughs> but join us next week. We're going to talk about you need to tune in on this. We're going to identify those top tech trends you need to be aware of as a leader and how you leverage that in your given role or company. If you want to check us out, you can always find our podcast at Voice America as well as newonline.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you to everybody for listening today. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.